That's why we pay higher costs. Yeah, we're paying for their postage. That's, that's right. Oh, well. We'll worry I about mean, it in two years. I mean, she only spent a billion dollars. Who's a billion dollars. So Hillary? Hillary. Yeah. Oh. Well, yep. th- see, the funny thing is, is political mail actually can get is delivered for free. I'm surprised they did that. Maybe they wanted the flag image on the... On well, that. I collect political mail with stamps, but not with meters or anything like mm-hmm. that. Interesting. Okay, so and so, point taken. like I said, Hillary, three, Trump, zero. Yep. Hillary should have won. Hillary <laughs> <laughs> could have did. She spent all her money on stamps. Oh, there oh you go. that's it. Uh-huh. Three envelopes to zero. She sent three. These are all from Hillary? Yeah. yeah. Hillary Rodham Clinton, Hillary Rodham Clinton, official campaign headquarters, Hillary Rodham and I think that's uh, not printed. That's her actual signature. She signed yeah. the outside of this envelope. Every one of them. Every one of them. <laughs> that is perfect in line. <laughs> Personally see, addressed. See, I, I wish I she had given, okay, a billion dollars. That's a thousand million. She could have given $500 million to homeless people and give them a home. Yeah, but then she wouldn't have come in second in the uh, presidential oh, race. They would have voted for her and she would have been over. Well, no, most of those homeless people actually, like being homeless. I was going to say make their homes, but um, actually occupy space in. Can you hear me now? I could hear you before. They actually mm-hmm. occupy space Hold in on. large cities, which pretty much voted overwhelmingly Democrat anyway. Mm. So it really wouldn't have helped the actual numbers. And on homelessness, uh, if you haven't uh, ever heard of Adam Conover, uh, Adam Ruins Everything. There's a great uh, podcast on it, which uh, I listened to the other day, and it's pretty cool about uh, how they're treating homeless people and how to get people out and stuff like that. So if you're interested in that, Adam Ruins Everything Homeless. Ready whenever. You're ready whenever. I'm snapping. You're snapping. Yes, you are snapping. He snapped. Okay, I'll be crackle. I'll be no bop. (laughs) (laughs) No more snapping. Okay, you want to count it down? Um, The champagne is uh, getting warm. We cannot have that. Fine, I will definitely count it down. The cork will go off by itself. (laughs) (laughs) This heat may be. It's what the wire is for. It's already been popped. I mean, the protective housing is loose. Mm Mm-hmm. That's okay. Five, four, three, two, one. Look at them, madam. Have you ever in your entire life seen anything so beautiful? I'm sorry, I don't know anything about stamps. This is the gentle art of philately, otherwise known as stamp collecting. Here's a pile of stamps carefully culled from swap meets and garage sales. Rufus, what are you thinking of? Oh, I was just thinking of all the years I've wasted collecting stamps. Oh, like stamp collecting. Now, that's all right. That's quite a nice hobby, that. Yeah, but it's not enough. Don't you understand? I'm lonely. I'm so terribly lonely. All right, Homer. You beat those stamp Nazis with good old-fashioned American complaining. Homer, if it weren't for you, we'd be at the mercy of weekend philatelists. You know, why didn't you just say stamp collectors? Because I'm tired of dumbing myself down for you. I, I mean, I have to say, when I, when I heard that, like, people actually watch this show, I was, I was actually pretty surprised. Oh, yeah.
I'm Ernest Borgnine. I collect stamps. From Spain and two from Japan. I got a couple from Israel and Azerbaijan. I got a planet from Poland, but none from Sudan or from Fiji or Uzbekistan. Stamp collecting happens when we dream together. Welcome to Stamp Show here today, episode 100. I'm Cash, and have you heard that roach milk is healthy for you? No, I haven't. I'm Scott. This is Tom. And I'm your host, Dawn. And joining us again is our good friend, Stamp Show Steve. How you doing? This hey. is Stamp Show Steve. Hey, Steve. Hey, what? Hey. <laughs> <laughs> Hey's for horses. Hey, get moving. I'm thirsty for roach milk. <laughs> you go it. right ahead. Ew. Ew. Sop that up with your tube sock. You got to get <laughs> Again, ew. <laughs> Ever since I've heard him talk about this, I've had this like permanent scowl on my face. Like, ugh. That's <laughs> <laughs> what you'd get for drinking roach milk. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Do we need to start over? You broke Steve. You broke Stamp Show Steve Cash. Good job. <laughs> Oi. They haven't even had my champagne. <laughs> Longest intro ever. I know. <laughs> this is what happens on the 100th anniversary. I mean the 100th episode. That's right. 100th um, episode anniversary. Take two. Take two. <laughs> The upside is we're not live yet. Yeah. Oh, my God. I know, huh? Uh, why problem make when you no problem have you don't want to make? So, on this day in history, 1851, 165 years ago today, Moby Dick, a novel by Herman Melville, is published in the USA. If you remember back to the episode we had on the U.S. Customs House... In 1866, Melville was appointed Collector of Customs for the Collection District of New York. Unfortunately, the guy who hired him managed a corrupt custom house, and in March of 1867, there were three resolutions introduced in the U.S. House of Representatives calling for President Andrew Johnson to remove him from office. Melville was known to be a withdrawn and often melancholy, honest, and hardworking customs inspector who devoted his days to a job that was demanding, imitating, Intimidating. <laughs> just like that word. Yeah, yes, that word is intimidating. You know, I just got it. Why we have champagne. Seriously? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, he can spill on his shirt and it won't matter. That's true. That is very true. <laughs> what? I'm, I'm starting over that hmm. paragraph, and you better edit it out. Okay. I'm going to put in the, uh, I just realized why you have champagne. Oh, yeah, I'd have had that I'm in there. that one. Yes. Melville was known to be a withdrawn and often melancholy, honest, and hardworking customs inspector who devoted his days to a job that was demanding, intimidating, anxiety-producing, irritating, and humiliating. He, they say he probably couldn't have written his books if he didn't have a cush job like at the uh, customs house. Well, that makes yeah. sense. A yeah. cush job that was anxiety-producing, humiliating, and intimidating? Yeah, well... Again, sounds like bookkeeping to me. And it's a corrupt organization, so, uh, you know, his boss probably didn't care. 
It was a cush job. What are you talking about? When asked about how he managed to survive being removed from the office, Melville replied that he avoided going down to the customs house. Thus, he remained out of sight and out of mind. Well, yeah, if you don't show up <laughs> don't for show work, up. how can you get fired? Yeah, mm-hmm. if you're not there, they can't fire you. <laughs> Melville's salary as an inspector was $4 per day with a six-day work week. He never received a promotion or a pay raise during his 19-year career with the Customs Service. That's wow. pretty impressive. Yeah, moving up the corporate ladder, not at all. <laughs> Again, sounds like bookkeeping. Shows you how low the rate of inflation was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's two stamps for, uh, well, there's one stamp for Herman Melville, and there's another stamp for Moby Dick. Well, this stamp has uh, people falling to their death from it. Oh, yeah. The one uh, the oh, one for Moby Dick is a rowboat with everybody getting smashed off it into the ocean. That's a whaling boat. By a whale tail. Well, it's a rowing whale boat. Which also... Well, yes, it's Moby it's, Dick, it's, it was a uh, whale of a tail. It's, it's called a whale boat. Yeah, there, you know, I collect 1851. It's interesting this happened in 1851 because in 1851 or 1852, they invented kerosene. And once they invented kerosene, basically they saved the whales because they didn't need to burn whale oil anymore. It used more as a lubricant after that than uh, for lighting. Kerosene saved the whales. Also, Melville has an epic beard. Time for listener emails. So we get emails at Stamp Show here today, so summon the answer squad. We are changing our email to a listener drinking game. It is episode 100, and we have a bottle of Stella Rosa champagne. Okay. Here we go. Woohoo! <laughs> Yay! Yay! And ceremonial cups for everything. 100th anniversary. Yeah. I mean, episode. <laughs> no, y'all keep saying that. <laughs> you planned it earlier. Oh, oh sorry about that. Uh, hey. Hey. Uh, well, don't pour mine near the board then if you're going to spill it all over <laughs> oh, Scott. Geez. That was alcohol abuse, right? That's right. There, there is go. alcohol abuse, yes. Cheers, abuse, all stamp abuse. collectors. I like abuse. All fellow stamp collectors. Never had anything quite like abuse. Cheers, 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 cheers. cheers. Episode 100. Yay. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> Plastic cups. Because we're classy Whoa, like that. Wow, that's good stuff. Oh, my God, that is good stuff. Woo. It is? It smells like Mad Dog 2020. <laughs> <laughs> that's stuff I've had all week. <laughs> Tastes like it too. <laughs> no, I wouldn't mind some of this. Yeah. yeah. Yay! Yay! <laughs> I like it. <laughs> oh. You should have just said something. I have one. My, aren't we touchy today? Yes. Happy 100th episode. Yay. Thank you, everybody out there who uh, keeps listening to promote us to help us get more listeners we have about fifteen thousand listens a week we're very very happy and i'm <laughs> i hope we can keep it up for another couple of years that's almost the at least 200th episode is scotch not this whatever this was oh, <laughs> oh. incentive that's almost equivalent to the attendance at the new york international show yeah <laughs> Well, I tell people we have pretty close to the uh, listenership of, that Linz has readers. 
Now it's increased. Mm. It's nearly 40,000 again. Oh, really? That yes. high now? Yes. Okay, so we're not at one half, we're at one third? You're, you're about 40%. Yeah. <laughs> now, you, uh, let's see, total tax exporter is 17,000, so you're, you're, you're almost as much as. ASD is only like 5,000. So we're three times their size. Yeah, and that's including uh, stamp collectors as well. Well, I would venture yeah. to say that most people listen to our entire episode, whereas most people don't read the entire issue of Lens. No. I don't know. When I'm sitting on... Well, never mind. Never mind. <laughs> I knew where you were going with that. And yeah. Well, you know, that... Have some more of your champagne. <laughs> well, again, everybody, thank you for listening. We stuff. enjoy doing it, and hopefully you enjoy listening. So we very, very much are happy to have done our 100th episode, and cheers to everyone out there. Yes. Now it's time for a stamp show here today, Museum Contribution. If you have a stamp and a story to contribute, email us and you can tell your story on the podcast. Our museum contribution for this podcast is... The cork from the bottle we just opened. <laughs> 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 oh, that wasn't what you were going to say? Yeah, yeah wait, look no. at, You can make, like a, fancy can- I, I you make like a fancy that. cancel with it. Oh, you could. Mm. You really could. A cork cancel. A cork, a cork cancel. PSEs yeah. first. Should be P- letters PSE. Ah. Ah. I actually have one that uh, was and made then a for tube my sock store. underneath it. Oh, sh- yeah. I had one with, <laughs> when it was. A tube sock. <laughs> I thought you were going to go for a chicken. A chicken wearing a tube uh, sock. Oh, I want chickens wearing tube socks. Oh, no. <laughs> well, they have bananas and pajamas. Okay. Mm. We've, no, got, we've got complaints about our language on the show, so I'm not going to say anything about chickens and tube socks. Yeah, we actually <gasps> we actually got an email from a person who said, well, my kid is listening, and you got to watch your language, and I kind of think we pretty much do. So, Well, I think that has to so be then you can, the so you, then you can edit out my bad brain going, mm, cocks and socks. Oh, 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 oh. You said chickens and socks. Chicken. <laughs> well, I can tell that there's uh, going to be some editing work on this episode. Yeah, stop, 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 stop. Let's get to the museum again. Okay, let's get back to the museum. You started it. Yeah. Well, yeah. Is that yeah. the Smithsonian? Our museum contribution for this podcast is a cover to Ann Kenchner from her daughter who lived in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. And that's Gettysburg with an H at the end. Really? Yes. Like Pittsburgh. <clears throat> Where? Where? Well, is then, you it? It, then you wrote it. Then you wrote it wrong because it doesn't have an H at the end. It doesn't. <laughs> Has it? Yeah. They can't get. They, they can't make up their mind either. No. Hmm. It just depends if you pronounce the or not. No, they've officially changed the way they spell it a couple mm. of times. Mm. Berg and Berg. The cover is dated in 1852, but you know what? In 1863, Gettysburg was quite the place. <laughs> and they lost the H at the end. It was shot off. It was shot off. <laughs> <laughs> November 19th, 1863, 153 years ago, an attorney by the name of David 
McConaughey suggested that a cemetery be made at Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, President Lincoln showed up and gave the Gettysburg Address. So we have a couple of little tidbits and things that people probably don't know about the Gettysburg Address. Mm. Yes. So we're going to remedy that. We're going to remedy that. Why don't you read the first one? I will. Lincoln wrote every word of the Gettysburg Address. While subsequent presidents have all enjoyed significant assistance from speechwriters in crafting their messages, President Lincoln took a more hands-on approach and is one of the few presidents in U.S. history to have written the entirety of his speeches and remarks. That's one that they kind of question because he had an assistant that helped him all the time, too. So they actually don't know, but supposedly he wrote the entire thing himself. If that's true, that is actually pretty impressive. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. Lincoln's speech was just 10 sentences long. In contrast to Everett's hours-long address, Lincoln spoke for just a few minutes. A popular myth tells of President Lincoln hastily jotting down his 270-word speech on the back of an envelope during the train ride from Washington to Gettysburg. In truth, Lincoln put a great deal of planning into his remarks. He began writing the speech the night before he left and completed it after his arrival in Pennsylvania. Yeah, they actually, he had rewritten it so many times that they don't know if the, which Gettysburg Address is the actual Gettysburg Address. They have four different versions of it. And they don't know which one he actually said at Gettysburg. Hmm. In 1863, journalists had to do, transcribe the text as it was spoken, leading to conflicting reports as to what President Lincoln said and how he said it. Adding to the confusion, Lincoln himself penned five different versions of the text for his personal secretaries and friends. Well, I guess he should have invented the internet then. <laughs> yeah. I guess so, huh? Well, I think he did. Carbon paper. It, <laughs> the inter- He just had a bad connection. You know, it was the war and everything, so I think they knocked down the cell towers. They had dial-up. Yeah. The Gettysburg Address does not explicitly discuss the war. One reason for enduring power of the Gettysburg Address is it's a timeless appeal. Rather than linking the speech to details of the war, Lincoln instead invokes universal ideals like devotion, democracy, human equality, and the importance of honoring the sacrifice of those who died for their country. He does not once explicitly mention the Union, the Confederacy, slavery, the Emancipation Proclamation, or even Gettysburg itself. And the speech was not the first appearance of the phrase of the people, by the people, and for the people. Now, while Lincoln is often credited with creating the phrase government of the people, by the people, and for the people, it is actually centuries older than America. The earliest usage can be found in the introduction to an English translation of the Bible by John Wycliffe in 1384. The Gettysburg Address argues that the Declaration of Independence is more important than the Constitution. In the speech, Lincoln focuses on the ideals set forth four score and seven years ago in the Declaration of Independence that all men are created equal. Lincoln called on America to welcome a new birth of freedom, implying that the U.S. Constitution must change to embrace equal rights for all. The response from those in attendance was overwhelmingly positive. According to reports, the audience interrupted Lincoln five times to applaud his speech, though they offered only mildly polite applause at the conclusion of his remarks. 
even with those five interruptions, Lincoln still managed to deliver his entire address in approximately two to three minutes. Yeah, supposedly there was a story about the photographer couldn't take his picture because he thought he was going to be up there for a while. Well, it also took a long time to set up a shot with those cameras. Yeah. And within two or three minutes, it's like, hey, wait, ooh. So I guess they got him like as he was walking down, and they have like a little arrow pointing at a person's head and saying, that's Lincoln. Yeah, he's kind of blurry and stuck because he was moving. Yep, yep. You know, I mean, was that was... Brady took his picture? I'm not sure who did. <sighs> I'm not sure either. I wouldn't be surprised if it was. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but yeah, but setting up uh, a camera back then, I mean, you had to, you know, I mean, you've seen the portraits, you know, they're all sitting there and they're all oh. stone-faced. Because you can't sit there like this for 10 minutes while the guy is trying to, you know, set up his camera. I thought it was interesting because Edward Everett was who everybody showed up for. They didn't show up to see Lincoln. So Lincoln, like, got this invitation and they said, hey, you know, this would be really great if you came out here and dedicated this. uh, It would be really great if you came out. So he actually left a day early. And everybody who left the day to try to get to the Gettysburg address... They were late because the trains weren't on time. And uh, if Lincoln had left with everybody else, he would have missed the Gettysburg Address. But Edward Everett, who spoke for two hours beforehand, that's who everybody actually showed up to listen to. He was the big guy. He prepared this for like a month and a half, this speech. And he gave a two-hour just bashing... uh, Where's one of the quotes? The Olive Grove of Academy, Plato's Retirement, where the uh, attic bird trills. Why don't you just forget uh, about it? Forget it, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) A boring speech. Oh, no, no, no. It wasn't boring. Oh, no, no, no. These people loved the speech. It was two hours and it was... Guys just can't spit it out. Yeah. (laughs) I, I, I get hung up on this word, academy. Academia. The no, it's uh, not. It's the, the Olive Grove of Academia. Anyway, the Olive Grove was something or another. Edward Everett knew where this Olive Grove was, and he talked about it. But he talked about you know very fu- uh, flourishy language and stuff like that. So he was there for two hours, and Lincoln was there for two minutes, and everybody remembers Lincoln. And nobody really remembers Edward Everett, even though he was pretty much the sort of a Brad Pitt of its time. He, I had never even heard of him until this conversation. Yeah, mm-hmm. he was up there. You know, Mark Twain. Mark Twain him. was a big speech giver, but if he didn't write books, he probably would have been forgotten also. Ingersoll was another big one. And uh, these guys were superstars of the time. And they traveled all around to listen to this guy. Oh, and by the way, he had a really nice pronounced speech so that people could hear him. And Lincoln had sort of a high-pitched sort of speech. He, he sounds more like my son Sean than uh, Samuel L. Jackson. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Samuel L. Jackson sounds nothing like Sean. <laughs> no, absolutely nothing. Or Lincoln. Now, okay, now the photographer that took the picture. Oh, yeah? It was um, 18-year-old David Backrack. Now... Mm-hmm. He would later be notable as the uncle of the writer Gertrude Stein. Oh. How about that, huh? The Gettysburg Address is interesting on many things, but there are just so many myths about it that are not correct. And ironically, you failed to pull up anything on the stamp which shows Lincoln and the Gettysburg Address. 1978. 
Mm. Oh, there's. Let's go through all the stamps that have the Gettysburg address. I mean, I pulled up a cover. But yeah, you have the battles at Gettysburg. You have the. No, we're talking about the Gettysburg address, and that's Lincoln with his address. Oh, yeah, that was. Standing there on a podium, on a stage, Mm -hmm. platform, platform. Um, There's also the one in the Credo series. Right. Mm -hmm. Which would be 1143. Is it 43? So there's two stamps. Of course, there's a uh, hundred stamps with just Lincoln on it. Yeah, we're not going to go through those. No, those are uh, <laughs> starts with number seventy-seven and pretty much goes on and on and on and on and on and on. Speaking of going on and on, it's time for Cash's <laughs> corrections. dancing in your chair this time i know i'm i'm getting drunk you're not feeling you're not feeling the the chicken huh uh, <laughs> wait that didn't sound right no, no, <laughs> totally not. didn't sound right no, that's, that's <laughs> not feeling the chicken but, but it's I, kicking in i just got back from philatelic fiesta hello to everybody who we met out there and i'm going to move my corrections to next week because we're going to have about four people talking and uh, I don't want this uh, podcast to go on for two hours. You know, when we hit an hour, everybody goes, you know, that's a little bit too long. So let's try to keep it at 45 minutes. And hopefully you fo- everybody out there will enjoy these interviews, discussions, and uh, quips. 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 Awesome. Quips. It's a to send up. It's a to send up. Okay, so I'm uh, at the Philatelic Fiesta with Ken Martin. I've known you for a long, long time. Um, he is the head right now of the APS. Well, the sort of head, right? Chief Operating Officer. Chief, which is basically a head. Uh, why don't you tell people about yourself? Um, I've been a stamp collector for, uh, wow, 40 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, worked for the APS full-time for a little bit more than 20 years. And uh, enjoy working for the, the nation's largest uh, organization for stamp collectors. What do you collect? Um, I have an exhibit related to blood donation and blood transfusion. I collect uh, modern postal history documenting automation and mechanization of the mail, such as evolution of barcodes, postal codes, facing identification marks, things like that. Oh, that's I haven't seen. Is that an exhibit? Haven't gotten that. It, hope to be an exhibit sometime yeah. in the future, but haven't exhibited that yet. Yeah, I have not. I've seen your blood transfusion yep. one, but I've never seen the uh, other one. Right. What, what's in it? Tell us about it. Well, I mean, that's, you know, there were um, machines to, in fact, at the APS, we have a millimeter, which you could argue was the beginning of uh, junk mail or large mailings because it was the first machine from 1906 to automatically apply stamps to envelopes and to seal envelopes, making it much more automated. But obviously, you know, automated canceling machines, um, machines to detect where the stamps are on an envelope. Um, zip codes, evolution of zip codes. I mean, London had its own system back in the 1860s, but in the United States, most places, well, they introduced a, a zone system in about 124 of the largest U.S. cities 
during World War II when they were losing too many of the postal employees to the war effort and new employees couldn't memorize the routes fast enough. Then, of course, we got zip code in 1963 and, and then barcodes to represent the zip code so the machines can automatically move the mail um, quicker, hopefully, or at least certainly with less labor. We always talk about private perps. Mm -hmm. You have an actual mail meter machine. Mm -hmm. Have you ever spent, uh, fed the stamps through it? Did you ever get a rape? Uh, no, a no, I don't think. Something? <laughs> uh, unfortunately, I don't think it's in good enough condition that. Oh, uh, too bad. It's, I too mean, bad. It, as far as I know, it's the only known one. Um, actually, a couple of members, Kurt and Joanne Lenz, purchased it and donate it to us, but um, I wouldn't call it in working condition. That would be so great, though, to actually like put up a little YouTube showing. Yep. You yeah. know, you don't have to put like actual stamps on it. Just get a piece of paper and punch little holes in it and feed it through. Yeah, showing. Oh. I don't, I don't, don't uh, I that think, would be I think so it would great. need repair, and I'm not sure I know how yeah. to properly repair it. <laughs> yeah, you'd need a 1920 postal machine. <laughs> yes. And they're probably all long retired. Probably. <laughs> So, you're the head of the APS. The APS is the largest stamp community in the world? Um, I don't think necessarily in the world. I think some, especially some countries, uh, at least in the past, you've had to be a member of a national organization to purchase some of the mint stamps issued uh, by countries so and, okay. and other things. But would be one of the larger ones with about 30,000 members, most of them in the United States. How about the largest voluntary? Uh, I, 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 you know, I'm always conservative. I don't want to say something inaccurate, uh, so I'm, you well, know. we used to be at 55,000 members, and that yes, was we were. pretty big, pretty That's big. That's right. So why don't you give a plug to the APS, tell people to join, um, because they should. Absolutely, they should. I mean, we have a wonderful website at stamps.org. We have a monthly magazine that's at least 100 pages a month. Some months this year have been as many as 200 pages for the special issue for New York 2016. It covers all philately, not just the United States, but, but all aspects of philately. Of course, there's lots of other things, such as we do have what I think is the world's largest research library, and members can borrow books or get scans of materials from there. Um, we have the library. Uh, which has over 85,000 titles, over 6,000 journals, all related to stamp collecting, and members can get photocopies or scans or, or borrow books. Um, we have a couple methods for members to buy and sell stamps, either over the internet or through more traditional approval circuit sales. That's where I got started. Okay, and we have <laughs> educational courses that are offered over the internet, uh, in person at stamp shows, and around the country. There are other things such as expertizing to authenticate postage stamps and uh, um, the stamp insurance program, for example. Uh, members can get a discount on stamp insurance. Basically, they do everything. We, we try. We, <laughs> I won't say we do everything. And I then, don't think there's anything you don't do. Then the website has over a thousand pages of information, so yep. there's a lot of information. Somebody earlier at this show was complaining they couldn't soak stamps off. I'd like, well, there's a video to tell you how to soak the recent self-adhesives off. And also our website has a list of the current U.S. new issues, actually for about the last five years, and we'll tell you which ones will soak off in regular water and which ones you're going to have to use other methods. Well, what are the other methods? Because we tell everybody to use orange spray. And that's, that's, we have two videos, and that's basically one of them is, both of them are basically variants of oh, that, okay, yes. Good, yeah, yeah. 
I, I was wondering because I haven't found anything better than orange. I'm not aware yeah. of anything better than the orange citrus. Or yeah, I think it goes under different names. Yeah, uh, uh, Home Depot yeah, exactly. or something like that. You can often find it. Great. Uh, give them the website one more time. Sure. Website is stamps.org. That's S-T-A-M-P-S dot O-R-G. Great. Thank, Thank you, you very much. Yep. Thanks a lot. Hi, Ken. How are you today? I'm fine, Cash. Thank you. So, you are on the show jury, but you're actually one of the major judges, right? I don't know how to be a major judge. I am a chief, <laughs> an accredited chief judge. You're yes. the accredited chief judge. So, yes. what? Uh, we're in uh, San Jose here. Uh, what did you like about the exhibits? I don't know if you can comment on specific. Absolutely. Good. Sure. Um, the, the show has some very good exhibits in it, and uh, the, the, the Grand Award winner, the, the uh, Departmental Stamps of the United States by Les uh, Lanfear, won the Grand Award, and it is a very good, if not definitive, exhibit of that material. Yeah, we're going to try to get him on to talk about the Garfield Yes. Morning covers. That's right. I yes. remember. Um, another really good exhibit is Jeff Forrester's 1869 Foreign Destination Mail. Mm -hmm. He has outstanding material in it. It's very nicely written up. It's easy to understand. So it, too, was just a wonderful exhibit. To give, to give your listeners an idea, we gave no medals below silver at this national show. So oh, that that's tells, good. Yeah, that tells you the exhibits were overall pretty good. Did they have any youth exhibits at the show? There were no youth exhibits. Okay. There was there was one novice, and he earned a Vermeer on his exhibit. Oh. <laughs> so, <laughs> one good. frame, but he was, I think he's a happy guy. Oh, yeah, yes. yeah. Yep. So what do you exhibit? I exhibit... I have two exhibits. One of them is the 1949 Minnesota Territorial Centennial stamp, which mm -hmm. has the ox card on it. Yep. Yes. And I exhibit Algerian postal history, starting at the oldest letter known, which is 1603, and ending March 31st, 1876. Oh, that one I've never seen. Yep. It, I don't have it out much because oh. I keep adding things, and it's because it's 10 frames, it's a lot of effort to change it. A lot of history there in Algeria too. A all lot. through, yeah. So in 1609 was that was um, under like the caliphate. It, right? Yes, the Turks were in charge yep. of all of North Africa, and their basic business was piracy. Yeah. So they were busy capturing ships whenever they could, and enslaving the Christians or asking them to convert to Islam. Uh, ransoming those people so that they could get cash for their nefarious purposes. Yep. Uh, but uh, other than the a little bit of agriculture, there really wasn't anything that the Turks really did uh, economically that advanced the world, shall we say. Not to pick on them too harshly, well, but they were pirates. Well, it was Carthage. Carthage was the big guy, you know, a thousand years earlier. A thousand years or, earlier, yes. Actually, I'm, excuse me, two thousand years earlier? Uh, it could have been that yeah. long ago. Yeah, it was a while ago. <laughs> yeah, yes. they uh, they and, ran the wrong side against Italy, though. Yes. The Romans kind of trounced them. Yes, and really the Turks didn't show up till about 1200. Yep. So, or 1,400. They had about a 400-year run. That 1,600 letter, could you read it? Do you know what was in it? Or? It's written in Middle, Middle European script, so I can't read it. Somebody has written in pencil in, in uh, 
French what the letter says, but I can't read the French well enough to interpret <laughs> it either. I do have a letter, the, the next most old letter in my exhibit is 1674. Mm -hmm. That one is written in Italian, and I have had a friend read that to me. And that's about a guy who was captured by the, the Turkish pirates, oh. and he's writing back to Italy to say, this really sucks. Don't forget about me. Please pay the ransom and get me the heck out of here. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's a great one. I like that one. Yes. Yep. A very cool letter. Do you have a picture of that? Can you I send don't. that to me I, Of course I can send yeah, that to send you. Me a, I'll give you my card and everything. Sure. That's a great one. Yep. Yeah, I assume you got a gold or a grand gold. One I have one, one grand award. Okay. Yes. Yep. That was back at uh, Indypex in 2009, maybe. A while ago. But a Turkish pirate yes. ransom letter. Yes, that's right. That goes far beyond stamp collecting. See, that's, the listeners on the podcast love the story behind this yes. stuff. Yeah. Any other interesting items like that? Um, oh, I have lots of them. And thanks to the Internet, I'm learning more of them. Oh. Um, so, for example, I wrote an article in the American Philatelist back in February mm -hmm. that talked about three covers, and the, the one that was most interesting to me and, and uh, had probably the best story was a letter written to a guy in New Zealand from Algeria, went, okay. went through the Suez Canal, and the coolest thing about that letter, or about researching that, is that New Zealand has put most, if not all, of its newspapers online. So I was able to go back into the 1860s, whenever it was, I can't remember when it was written, and find who this guy was, find the business it was addressed to, the changes in the business, because it showed up in the newspapers all the time. Mm -hmm. And he eventually um, left a business in Auckland, where the letter was addressed, and moved to another town, and I can't remember what it was, it doesn't matter, where he became like the treasurer of the railroad board. Okay. And they discovered that he had been absconding with funds because he couldn't make a living doing that <laughs> and committed suicide. Oh. And the story of his suicide makes the newspapers in, as I said in the article, in sufficient detail that you could have written the autopsy report. For wow, me. wow. <laughs> Today, we don't, our newspapers don't write quite the same story about yeah, that. Yeah, but you can still pull it up online. Yes, that's right. <laughs> that's right. So, yeah, that, that kind of internet access to things is just yeah. making postal history so much more fun. Oh, yeah. yeah. Very much. You flew out from Ohio, I'm sure. Yes. You want to give yeah. a plug to anything? Um, Are you going to be in Chicago? I will not be in Chicago. Oh. The next okay. show I'll be at will be um, uh, Southeastern Stamp Show in Atlanta. Okay. I'll be judging there, too. Um, How often do you judge? Five or six just times curious. a year. Yeah, just Yep. It's it's obviously a hobby. You don't get yes. paid anything for it. So well, we get an honorarium, but well, yeah, yeah it but doesn't cover the doesn't, air. Yeah, it doesn't cover the air. So yeah, yeah interesting. Yep, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, my uh, my first exhibit will be at Aripex, so we'll oh, see good. what happens there. Yeah, I hope you do well. I hope so too. What's your subject? Uh, 1850 to 1859 Industrial Revolution. Okay. So it starts with U.S. number one and two and goes up to number 39 just for completion. Yep. So, so. the U.S., focus on the U.S. industrial revolution. It's, it's a focus on modern production and mailing of letters. Yep. As opposed to an individual issue. It right. It overlaps many issues. Right. Yeah, so 
Well, it should be fun. I enjoy it. I enjoy the story behind it. Yep. And that's why, you know, we talk about what we talk about. We are much more of a history channel mm -hmm. related to stamp collecting than a stamp collecting channel that then talks about history. Yes. So. Yep. Good. Great. Well, thank you very much. You're welcome. It's a descendant. So I'm here at Philatelic Fiesta with Deepak. He's an Indian dealer. Why don't you tell people who you are? Uh, well, I'm, uh, I'm a collector and a dealer located in the Bay Area. And I specialize in India, mainly uh, pre-1947, the British India. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I like to specialize in rarities and uh, try to get what I can and the worst nightmare is to sell something <laughs> being a dealer that's the worst nightmare being yep, a dealer I hear that I wish I was time. a collector I hear that all the time dealers and collectors rarely mix but <laughs> I enjoy it and I consider myself a dealer so yeah and I don't know what you do after you um, expertise the stamps you probably most of it goes into your oh no 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 <laughs> collection you, you would be shocked at how many stamps that like I expertise and they go, oh, I want it. Yeah, and, and you probably <laughs> offer a price that the no, <laughs> person cannot refuse. We can't. That, that's not proper. But, oh, I want it. It's like, uh, okay. So, But it is uh, fun. What do you collect? What's your what's your favorite thing to collect? I mean, obviously, you collect. Well, let me back up. You collect India, obviously, because you're Indian. It's You have a cultural tie to it, right? Uh it, uh, you know, growing up, it always fascinated me because my father is a dealer, and that's the family I grew up in. He was a stamp dealer? He is a stamp dealer. Oh. Believe it or not, he's, uh, what, 75? He's still uh, actively oh. a dealer. There. <laughs> okay. And I grew up in the mess. Uh, I w I, I'm calling it a mess because my dad literally dealt in low-value bundle wares, and, uh, mm -hmm. including some quality stuff, but most of it was uh, bulk. Yep. And I grew up with it. I used to hate it uh, till... You were the one who had to put all the envelopes together. Exactly. That's when I hated it. When, But it rewarded me also because I had to find some errors. And I think it was uh, German stamps, uh, if I'm not mistaken. I used to find out the Berlin mm -hmm. from there. I had to sort it out every time I would get, uh, do that. I would get paid big time. That was what about... Uh, I don't remember exactly, but it was uh, enough for uh, uh, to get a candy. Oh well, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, if I could find five in a day, that would be I could buy something nicer than that. Cool. So it was fun, but I used to hate it as well. But then, <laughs> till I got interested, when I get, got to know more about it, mm -hmm. and you know, not just Germany, when I got to see. How serious he was in India and some of mm -hmm. the things. That's what fascinated me. And then I started building a collection. You are Mr. Cheswal's son. Excuse me, one minute. That can be edited, right? Oh, we, we edit the heck out of this stuff. I know Mr. Cheswal from a long time back. So, uh, what's an interesting stamp that you have? Oh, I haven't. <laughs> we have to go over again. We have to go over what? Oh, no, you can edit it, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, interesting stamp. It's, uh, that's an interesting question. I get fascinated with, uh, more fascinated with postal history than stamps. Uh, that's, believe it or not. <laughs> that's what we're all about. Yeah. So stamps, of course, you know, as a businessman, 
you know, I do look at stamps, but I like to see beyond what's in the catalog. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, postal history excites me a lot more because you get to see new things and, you know, you want to discover something that doesn't exist, which you damn yeah. well know doesn't exist and you still want to believe it exists. Well, you and sometimes could, it does. Yeah, well, you can read Indian also. I do, so. but uh, India had so many scripts, as you know, as oh, you I might know. know. It's, it has... 22 different uh, dialects and uh, even today the only common language in India is English. Oh really? Because if you go a hundred miles you cannot speak the language. If you travel a hundred miles you cannot speak the language so the only common language is English. I I did not know that. Yes and it doesn't it did not help in the past Uh, in the old days it didn't help when most of the people were uneducated and you could not, you have to use sign language, which we are not very good at. We only... And, and it's tough writing sign language in a letter. I would say 90% of the letters I cannot read. Oh. Even the Indian ones, so... Interesting. Uh, even though my wife is a Hindi teacher, she teaches Hindi, and yet we cannot decipher. We need help sometimes. But most of the part, there's a lot of English postmarks, English cancels, you know, so we don't have a tough time with that. But the rates and routes back in the days and, you know, when there was a shipwreck and that was the last voyage or the maiden voyage that crashed, uh, that sank and you have the letters from then. It's interesting, it gets interesting. So many, I've found so many interesting postal history. Uh, it's unbelievable. Uh, How hard is it to find Indian postal history in the United States? It's not very easy, uh, because when I go to London, I travel. The most I have gotten is from London, Uh, much more than India, much more than anywhere else in the world. Oh, you get more in London than India? A lot more in London than India. I don't buy in India. I don't buy at all in India. London, uh, there was a time when I used to make more than 10 trips a year to London just to buy. Interesting. Because it was all controlled by the British. Yeah. uh, And they taken a lot of their material back. Yeah, the Star of India story. Yeah. (laughs) And then all the the, uh, ones that are preserved also is in the UK because Indian in the Indian climate nothing is preserved. Oh, good point. so yeah, you have I cannot a buy. I cannot buy in India and sell it anywhere. I can only sell it in India. Mm. Yep. Is that you? That's my son. That's no, no, him. Oh no, he's my friend. Oh, okay. That's just Ray. Yeah, that's okay. my son Ray. Like, that's <laughs> my son Ray. Yeah. That's him I know. <laughs> no. no, we all buddies. We go to lunch almost every Monday of the year. Yep. Bunch of, bunch of dealers get together on Monday. Okay. Wow. Southern California is a nice little compact area for dealers. I'm sure you oh, have nice. the same thing up here. No, you talking have, about meeting your people I have, in your house. I have uh, maybe a group of seven people. Yeah. So out of which four or five, they do come up. They come to my place. Next meeting is on. Well, one of my, one of them just got married. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, like brand new married, uh, <laughs> like two two weeks ago. Oh okay. He just got back from India. He, go, he went to India to get married. Cool. He just got back. Without his wife, 
couldn't. Uh, what? His wife is getting shipped uh, about a week later. <laughs> That's terrible. That's shipped. <laughs> hey, we have to have some fun. Yes, right? of course. Uh, no, she just applied for a visa, mm. got approved, so she's coming. Uh, Understand. Next, next week she's getting back. Mm. Yeah. So he was at my house last night. Well, how was your show overall? It was fun. I did talk to a few people. I met a few new people. Lenders. Talk a little louder. Sorry. I'm not talking all that. I'm not talking. Oh, you were talking for that. Yeah. Oh. Oh. This is if oh, you're. Okay. This is the microphone. I'm not hiding that I'm recording you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, if if you know there was like a little bug or something. Yeah. This is this is a 12-inch tall microphone that looks like a microphone. <laughs> No, the show was uh, much better than what I expected it to be uh, because, you know, I know a few Indians, uh, Indian collectors in the Bay Area. I know them and besides them, I didn't expect uh, any new people, but I they did get three new customers that did buy it, apparently, that did yeah. buy from me, which is which was quite amazing. It's to send up. to send up. Oh, and uh, look forward to seeing everybody in Chicago Pex. Oh, yeah. yeah. We're leaving on Thursday. So we'll be recording people out there. Stop by and say hi if you listen to this in time. We would like to thank the following for information used in this podcast. Wikipedia, The New York Times, Backstory of the American History Guys, Stuff You Should Know podcast, and the Armstrong and Getty Radio Show. Thank you for joining us for episode 100. This has been Kaj, Scott, Tom, Stamp Show Steve, and I'm your host, Dawn. You can reach us with your questions or comments at stampshowheretoday at gmail.com, Twitter at stampshowht, or leave a message on our Google Voice number, 1949-873-4298. You can also check out our website at stampshowheretoday.com, or follow us on Facebook or watch us on YouTube. And as always, keep collecting. This episode of Stamp Show Here Today is brought to you by the Philatelic Book of Secrets, the book that teaches you about repurfs, regums, color varieties, and much more. Get yours for $10 at www.philatelicsecrets.com today. Hello everyone, my name is David Kugel, and I am one of the co-owners of Daniel F. Kelleher Auctions and Kelleher and Rogers Fine Asian Auctions. I would like to present our firm's growing list of services available to you in terms of how to go about selling a stamp collection and the steps one would take to achieve the best results for you. We provide boutique auction services to 100% of the philatelic market. All collectors with collections as little as $5,000 to collections reaching well into seven figures. We sell to more collectors than any other auction firm our diverse mailing list of active bidders is the world's largest. This is evidenced by higher prices realized due to collector competition and more underbidders. See for yourself at our website, www.kelleherauctions.com. We are the only American-owned international philatelic auction firm with offices in the United States, United Kingdom, and Hong Kong. We are also the publishers of the Kelleher's Collector's Connection, already one of the premier magazines in philately with a worldwide circulation. Any collector may subscribe without charge 
call, visit our website, or email us now. Let us work for you. The results will speak for themselves. And you can contact us toll-free in the United States at 877-316-2895. We are so delighted to be one of the podcast hosts today and really, really encourage you to enjoy philately the hobby that allows one to enjoy life and live longer. Turn to send up.